Man now. Lovely, close control there by Weller. Chance on for Burton, all the wet one, it's a beautiful goal! What a Leicester City! Hello and welcome to the What If series brought to you by the Fox 8 podcast. My name is Pete Selby. At the other end of the line, as per usual, is Rob Hayes. Now, Rob, this new series, the What If series, based upon events that happened throughout the course of history at Leicester... But with a slight change, what if players remained, what if managers remained, what if certain major events at Leicester took a different turn, what would have been the timeline and what would have happened to the football club? I'm very much looking forward to this little series of spin-offs because this is essentially, for those listeners that aren't necessarily uh, as up to speed with the way that your mind works as others, uh, this is essentially a dip into Pete Selby's labyrinth of a brain uh, during the midst of the coronavirus outbreak, whereby he is trapped inside the four walls of his house and thus trapped inside the the minefield that is his own brain. And uh, in order to pass the time, uh, has these thoughts whirring round in his head from yesteryear uh, about what might have happened if this had happened and what might have happened if that had happened. Um, it's it's going to be an interesting ride over the next half an hour or so. And and to make this perfectly clear to all of our listeners, I've got no idea what's coming. I know what the question is, and that is it. Yes, and all the listeners know what the question is because it's in the title of this first What If. And we're going to go back, Rob, to the summer of the year 2000. And the question is, what if... Martin O'Neill did not leave Leicester in the year 2000. We know that in the summer of 2000, June the 1st, 2000, Martin O'Neill left Leicester City to join Celtic. Man United have won their sixth Premier League title by 18 points. Arsenal and Leeds United, they've qualified for the Champions League. Liverpool, they have joined the FA Cup winners Chelsea in the UEFA Cup. Watford, Wimbledon, Sheffield Wednesday, been relegated. Kevin Phillips, remember, he won the Golden Boots and he also got the European Golden Shoe with his 30 league goals for Sunderland. Leicester, they've had a fabulous season. They've won the League Cup final 2-1, beating Tranmere at Wembley in late February. They finish the season with three successive wins, but then they lose excuse me, 4-0 at Hillsborough on the final day of the season, but they finish in a record 8th place under Martin O'Neill in the 4th season in the top flight. Cotty, he's the top goal scorer for the second consecutive season, 13 league goals. The bank balance is healthy due to Heskey's £11 million move to Liverpool in March of that year. And, well, Leicester have got, got an experienced squad. They've got Tim Flowers, Neil Lennon, Muzzy Izzet, who plays for Turkey that summer in Euro 2000. Guppy, Savage, Sinclair, Taggart, Elliot. Uh, Steve Walsh, Collymore, Cotty, they're all at the club. But again, on June the 1st, the year 2000, Martin O'Neill left Leicester to join Celtic. But what happens if Martin O'Neill stayed at Leicester? Let's find out. So the year 2000. 2000-2001 season sees plenty of big money transfers in the Premier League. If you remember, Arsenal spent nearly £50 million that summer. 
Uh, they received plenty of money for Overmars and Petit, who went to join Barcelona. They signed Sylvain Wiltord. They signed Franny Jeffers, which becomes important for Leicester. Uh, they also signed Robert Pires for only £9 million. Bit of a bargain. Uh, Spurs, they signed Rebrov for £16 million. Ferdinand joins Leeds from West Ham for a record £24 million. And Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank switches Madrid for Chelsea for £20 million. Uh, now, at Leicester... New contracts are given to first-team players Matt Elliott to reward for scoring the two goals against Tranmere in the League Cup final. Neil Lennon as well has been given a big contract, and Muzzy is it. Now, Tony Cotty, he's going to stay for another season. He announces that will be his last as a player. Uh, but there is a big announcement during Alan Bershnell's testimonial that takes place during that summer. And it's Steve Walsh. He announces that he is to retire from football immediately, and he becomes part of the coaching setup. At Leicester, he has a very good relationship with Martin O'Neill. He brings him into the coaching setup. He actually wanted to play for another year, but Martin said, "Look, you're not going to play, but we want to stay you to stay at the football club." Uh, players to leave: Ian Marshall. He leaves on a free to Bolton. That follows the same timeline as what happened in real life. Theo Zagarakis goes to EAK Athens and goes to win the European Cup in what four years' time. And Peggy Arfex and he joins Heskey at Liverpool. Uh, but importantly. I think that no major first-team players actually leave because O'Neill has said he's going to stay, so they all stay. Now, if we look, Rob, um, at what happened with Peter Taylor, who was brought in, as we know, in the real timeline, Leicester signed numerous players that season. But to dismiss them all entirely, I, I think would actually be wrong because I think that the football club would have drawn up a list of targets from the moment that Heskey moved to Merseyside. So Taylor, when he came into the club, would have had his own opinions and players in mind. But his list of signings would more than likely have included original City targets with O'Neill at the club. But saying that, I think the likes of Junior Lewis, Kevin Ellison, Dean Sturridge, Lee Marshall, Ryan Creswell, Callum Davidson, and very importantly, Adi Akinbai, they are not signed by Martin O'Neill. I think they are signings from Peter Taylor, a lot of them from lower league clubs, and Adit Akinbai is the is the big one really, Rob, because they go for another target. Gary Warrets, who does sign for four million pounds. So Gary Rowett signs from Birmingham, because I can see O'Neill being a fan of Rowett's and, and that signing was fairly early as well. Simon Royce also on a free from Charlton, the goalkeeper. Now Leicester they try to sign players like Henningberg, but he joins Blackburn from Manchester United as what happens in real timeline. They're outbid for the likes of Steve Watson from Everton and they're linked to Stephen Hughes at Arsenal, who played very well at Filbert Streets in the previous season. But Rob, the one signing, the dream signing for Martin O'Neill, the player that he had in mind for years, is a player who he actually signed for Celtic in the real timeline. And that's Chris Sutton. Now, Leicester and Martin, they try and sign Chris Sutton. They offer him 40 grand a week, which is actually less than what he's on at Chelsea. But Sutton does not join Leicester. I can't see Sutton in a timeline joining Leicester, even with Martin O'Neill at the club. He goes and joins Everton, who used the 15 million that they received from Arsenal for Franny Jeffers instead. And that snub means Leicester and Martin O'Neill turn their attention to a player who Leicester tried to sign in the year 2000 in real life. And that player is Carl Court, who has just been relegated with Wimbledon. 
And Leicester sign Carl Courts. Martin O'Neill signs him and they pay £7 million. Carl Courts in real life goes to Newcastle. But in my timeline, he was a big target for Leicester and he goes to Leicester and joins for £7 million. It's a good job that in preparation for this mini-episode that I actually refreshed my memory of that kind of era just so that I could follow which of your statements there were factually true and which of them were coming from your elaborate imagination because you you delivered that with some gusto. I enjoyed it. A couple of points there. I would say, yes, we would have definitely not have had such a significant outgoing as Steve Walsh, who went to Norwich, didn't he? Or, or Neil Lennon, for example, who followed uh, Martin O'Neill to Celtic. They, if, if Martin O'Neill stays at Leicester, I think they stay at Leicester. Um, Peter Taylor signed four, eight, 13 players that, that season. 13 players. Now, if you look at Martin O'Neill's transfer record at Leicester, he doesn't sign that many players. He doesn't have that much upheaval in a season. So I think you're right. A lot of those targets would would not have been anywhere near the club, probably because of their uh, lack of ability as well. But I like the fact that that a lot a lot of permutations have gone on there. I thought you were just going to say that we'd signed Chris Sutton, and that was well, that was that. Uh, of course, Premier League winner with Blackburn, um, formidable front pairing with Alan Shearer, wasn't he in the in, in that season? Um, Yes, no, Adi Akinbae. Thank goodness for that. That is uh, one of the, one of the biggest blots on Leicester's recent transfer history. You've got to say, probably the biggest, in the sense that it stood for so long as a record transfer. Carl Court, hot property at the time, wasn't he? When his knees actually worked and when he was in form, he was scoring some goals. And I think you're absolutely right. And and we'd have probably got some. Well, we would definitely have got some change out of the 11 million we received for Emil Heskey which could have been used to supplement our attacking lineup with a with a couple of additional players possibly but um I'm following you so far this is not quite as far fetched as I thought it would be Carl Court for me would be the signing that would replace Heskey so Court goes into the side alongside say a Tony Cotty who's still there in his in his final season at the club and still scoring goals two time top goal scorer 13 league goals as I mentioned, and it, it is interesting with Akinbae, a funny story I heard, and I mentioned it on a previous For Fox Sake episode when I went to a, a, a night with Steve Walsh and, and Matt Elliott, and Walsh told the story about Adi Akinbae when Peter Taylor got them passing the ball five yards to each other, just like a school teacher. That's what he mentioned regarding Peter Taylor. The, the training was very odd, very terribly, he said. And he passes the ball along the ground five yards to Akinbae, who struggles to control the ball, and then knocks the ball back to Walshy. It goes five yards to his right and way behind him. And Walshy just looks around and goes, "Who? what's this player we've bought? We've spent all this money on someone who can't pass the ball five yards. But he doesn't arrive at the club. So Rowett and Carl Court are the, the two signings. And, well, they start the season very well, Leicester. If you remember the start of the season that happened under Peter Taylor... I think that Leicester, actually, they matched that real-time season at the start. Uh, they start brightly with the experienced defence bolstered by the likes of Rowitz and informed flowers in goal. In real-time, Leicester topped the league after eight games. They scored only seven goals in those eight games, but they conceded just two. One of those was a penalty. Tim Flowers gets player of the month and Martin O'Neill gets the manager of the month award, a complete echo from the real timeline with Taylor and Tim Flowers. At one 
very important player actually, Stan Collymore. Now he reacts positively to O'Neill's leadership more than he did with Peter Taylor. He slowly kind of winded down as a player at Leicester and, and ended up leaving that, uh, that season. But he leads the line admirably with Cole Court settling in nicely and Tony Cotty still chipping in with goals more than not off the bench with Tony Cotty. Now, matching the timeline, plans are then announced for a new 32,000 stadium on the Freeman's Wharf site and that will be ready for the 2002-2003 season. Once again, Leicester draw Red Star Belgrade in the UEFA Cup and they are beaten narrowly over two legs. Tim Flowers once again hampered by... The Flares let off early at Filbert Street in the first leg, if you remember. I was sat, uh, well, stood behind the goal, behind Tim Flowers. I couldn't see the ball uh, until it flew into the back of the net. And Tim Flowers definitely didn't. And that happens once again. Now, in a compact Premier League, Leicester remain in the top six and are, are pushing hard for Europe. The familiar 3-5-2 system is being employed by O'Neill with Rowett on the right of the back three, replacing an increasingly injury-prone Jerry Taggart and Frank Sinclair. The midfield is dominated by an electric Neil Lennon, who's increasingly being linked with moves away from Leicester. Muzzy is it's in there with Savage, Guppy, all playing well. Unfortunately, Darren Eady is absent throughout the season with injury. Now, problems do arrive after Christmas, though. Injuries to Carl Court, whose hamstring goes, and Stan Collymore results in the club reverting to playing Matt Elliott in his striking role once again. And City do not win a league match for two months and they drop out of the top six, echoing what happened in the real timeline with injuries. Now, Carl Court, he's ruled out till next season, so Leicester look to bolster their forward line and add pace into the attack. Leicester, just after Christmas, they signed Darren Hookerby from Leeds for £3.5 million, who moved around that time for a similar price. There's no Mancini. He arrived because of Taylor's links with Sven and the friendship with Mancini. So there's no uh, Mancini at Leicester. And numerous other players that Taylor brought in around that time to bolster the squad. But Leicester signed Darren Huckabee from Leeds, Rob. He knows how to score goals in the Premier League, doesn't he, Darren Huckabee? Um, very good uh, addition to the squad, uh, especially with the fact that Leicester have not won a game for the last two months. Can you imagine how fun our For Fox 8 podcasts would have been if we were around uh, and recording during that time? Um, we would have been bemoaning the lack of strike power. We would have been um, we would have been uh, sort of down on a look injury-wise. But it, in it, it was um, interesting during that time that you could sign players whenever you wanted, really. I think that would be interesting in, in the current climate uh, of, of of football the way it is. So Leicester have got this injury issue. They are playing Matt Elliott up front, who's good as a stopgap, but you know, when you're getting two months of no victories, you need to look elsewhere. And they can just dip into the market and three and a half million for a proven Premier League goal scorer is a decent decent rate. I think the signings you can make in the Premier League was up until March the thirty first. And with Leicester in the Cups, their defence of the League Cup is short. Uh, which matched the real time, an early defeat to Crystal Palace. But it's the FA Cup which sees Leicester progress, as happened in real time against York, against Aston Villa and against Bristol City with the non-Cup tied Darren Huckerby opening his account for the club by scoring the winner in that game against Bristol City. And Leicester are drawn 
at home to Wickham Wanderers in the quarterfinals of the FA Cup. Now elsewhere, Manchester United, they're battling it out with Arsenal for the league. Ipswich are flying under would-be manager of the year George Burley and Coventry while well, they look doomed at the bottom of the league. We advance, Rob, to March the 10th, 2001. A packed Filbert Streets, an injury hits and depleted Leicester City took on Laurie Sanchez's second division, Wickham Wanderers. A date, March the 10th, 2001. A date which I can remember and I think had a massive effect, a generational effect on a football club. Now Wickham, they take the lead through Paul McCarthy, as happened in real time, and Muzzy Izzet does equalise for Leicester. Roy Essendower, who was signed that week by Wickham via the internet or teletext, he comes off the bench. And with 12 minutes to go, Rob, a cross comes in from Wickham. It appears that Stefan Oakes handles the ball in the City penalty area. Laurie Sanchez is apoplectic on the sidelines and is sent from the dugout. Sanchez watches on a monitor deep inside the tunnel in the carling stand and with five minutes to go, after being sent clear past tiring legs, Darren Huckerby scores at the Filbert Street end to send Leicester into their first FA Cup semi-final for 18 years. And all of a sudden, March the 10th, 2001, becomes a positive date in Leicester City's history, rather than, as you say, one that has affected a generation of players at the club um, for the last, what, 19 years. We are Well, it's, it's quite weird, actually, that we're around about that time of year now recording this as well. And it was on, um, due to the lack of live sport, it was on BBC uh, the other uh, last weekend, I think, a rerun of um, uh, of the highlights, if you will, or the lowlights of Wickham versus Leicester. Um, if I remember rightly, Essendon scored a header. Is that right? Am I right in thinking that? Yeah, he scored a, a, a late header, an injury time header so at the cop end. when that cross comes in, the Essendon is in the alternative or the real reality, shall we say, um, destined to head in. Matt Elliott, who is actually now playing back in defence because Darren Huckabee's been signed and playing up front. Matt Elliott heads that away, doesn't it? And then Huckabee races away to score the winner. Exactly. In my timeline, I've got a depleted Leicester, but they have pace up front through Huckabee. The handball by Stefan Oaks, that's what happened in the game, which Laurie Sanchez was sent off. But Leicester missed a number of chances. Akin Bai missed a good chance. Uh, is it? And Darren Eady had a few chances, but they've got Huckabee in this side. And they just had that slight advantage then over Wickham. And they progress to the semi-finals where Leicester take on Liverpool at Villa Park in the FA Cup semi-final. What would have happened? Now, Leicester had beaten Liverpool in the Premier League not a few weeks before. And we advance to the FA Cup semi-final at Villa Park. Liverpool, on that day in real time, are very poor. They beat Wickham Wanderers by two goals to one. All the goals come in late on. They are poor. And Liverpool, once again, are very poor in that semi-final. The first time Leicester have been in a semi-final of the FA Cup since, well, for the last 18 years, since, what, 1982-83. Leicester, in that semi-final, take advantage. The same scoreline as what happened in the league game at Filbert Street only a month earlier sees Leicester win by two goals to nil. And Leicester go into their first FA Cup final since 1969. Now, in the league, after that FA Cup semi-final win, 
in real time, the defeat, should I say, to Wickham in the FA Cup sees Leicester set a club record by losing their next eight games. But that doesn't happen under O'Neill. First of all, the FA Cup run continues. And as a fight for places, fans even see Stan Collymore, who's been criticised recently for his lack of effort at times, start to close defenders down and appear more interested. And Leicester maintain their 6th to 8th place in the league with wins over relegation candidates Coventry and Manchester City before beating Tottenham at Filbert Street in the penultimate game of the season. We advance, Rob, to the 12th of May 2001, the FA Cup final, the first of which that's been played at Cardiff's Millennium Stadium. Now, in this timeline, it was originally called the Michael Owen Cup final, but of course Liverpool aren't in the final. Martin O'Neill walks his Leicester side out to face Arsene Wenger's Arsenal. The Leicester team that day, Tim Flowers, Matt Elliott, Frank Sinclair, Gary Rowitz, Steve Guppy, Neil Lennon, Muzzy Izzet, Robbie Savage, Stefan Oakes, who's playing because Impey's injured, Darren Huckabee and Stan Collymore. On the bench is Tony Cotty, who comes on for his final career appearance. Uh, Jerry Taggart's there and a 50% fit Carl Court. They walk out, Rob, at a red-hot Millennium Stadium. This is um, this this is the bit where it gets a little bit more far-fetched, isn't it? I've, I've been praising so far your your ability to kind of stick within the realms of reality, and I, and I should have seen this coming. Really, I should have seen that the desperation that you and I and and thousands and hundreds of thousands of Leicester fans have for an FA Cup victory would mean that in these hypothetical situations that we now find ourselves talking about uh, that there would be an FA Cup final appearance somewhere Leicester versus Arsenal Arsenal obviously at that at that time more so than they than they are now um, big big players in the Premier League uh, Arsene Wenger at the height of his managerial ability, you know, the, the quality of players that they possessed at that time, the, the style of football that they played. And when you read out that starting lineup for Leicester City, although it's a familiar one, it's on paper a much inferior one. But under Martin O'Neill, these are players that are used to finding a way to win. Cup finals. Exactly. Now, what happens in this cup final? Well, supporters who watched this Leicester side in the 90s knew that the team that Leicester struggled badly against was Arsenal. In real time that season, Leicester lost 6-1 at Highbury and drew 0-0 at Filbert Street. In the FA Cup final, a spirited Leicester side had hope when Izzet equalised an early Thierry Henry strike but goals just before half-time from Robert Perez and early in the second half from Sylvain Wiltord meant that Arsenal ran out comfortable winners of the FA Cup. Robbie Savage is sent off late on and Tony Cotty is brought on for the final 15 minutes of his career. So Leicester lose the FA Cup final comfortably to Arsenal and City also lose at Leeds on the final day of the season to finish 8th in the Premier League that season, matching the finish of the previous season. Where do we go from here? Well, that's the uh, that's the important question. The league is won by Manchester United. Arsenal finished second. Liverpool, they won the League Cup and the UEFA Cup. Of course, they were denied what happened in real time of the, the three cup wins because Leicester knocked them out in the semi-final. Uh, Ipswich, they have a spectacular season. They finished fifth, as we know, and George Burley, manager of the year. 
Uh, Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank, he's top scorer in the Premier League, 23 goals at Chelsea. Bradford, Man City and Coventry are relegated. Coventry for the first time in 34 years. So we advance, Rob, to the summer of 2001. Leicester's final season at Filbert Street before moving to the new Walker's Bowl or Walker's Stadium as it was renamed. Uh, just to have a look at some notable transfers, just to rejog everyone's memory of the summer of 2001. Uh, Robbie Keane, Robbie Fowler, Seth Johnson all joined big spend in Leeds for a combined £41 million. Frank Lampard joined Chelsea from West Ham. Uh, Al Fayed at Fulham spends big, bringing in Steve Marley, remember that, for £15 million. Uh, Man United, they're the biggest spenders of all. Juan Sebastian Veron from Lazio, £38 million. Rudman Nisteroy, £25 million with Yapstam and Andy Cole leaving Old Trafford. But to Filbert Street. And paper talk has been linking Leicester manager Martin O'Neill with a move to Scotland. Up in Scotland, Celtic haven't won the league title for three seasons and top scorer Henrik Larsson indicates that he would like to leave the club if they are not to win the league this season. And just like a season earlier, Celtic make an approach to Leicester City once again for Martin O'Neill. Now this time Martin looks at the team who finished 8th for the second year running, were outplayed in the cup final by Arsenal. They've got a tight transfer budget with the new stadium eaten into the transfer funds and Martin O'Neill decides that it's time to leave Leicester. June the 1st, 2001, exactly a year after the real time Martin O'Neill leaves Leicester for Celtic. Martin O'Neill Leaves Leicester for Celtic. It's inevitable. At least we've got another season with him at the, in charge, eh? And it, it's, you know, if you look at the reality of it, uh, whether you're talking about when he actually left us uh, at the end uh, of the season when we won our second League Cup uh, under him, he left us on a real high. Eighth place, uh, the best finish, um, highest league finish in 24 years. Um, and if you're saying that in, in your alternative reality, this what-if reality, they've just finished eighth again, so they've equaled their best league finish in 24 years, they've made an FA Cup final, it, it gets to the point, as it did for the real Martin O'Neill, and as it has done now for the hypothetical Martin O'Neill, where, from his point of view, he's done an awful lot of good at Leicester City, and Celtic are a team that, if you look at Filbert Street, can get triple the number of uh, uh, fans in their stadium for home games. Even if you look at the, what was going to be the Walker Stadium, it's still Celtic Park is still double the size of that. And they are right in the mix for regular trophies. They've got a quality player in Henrik Larsson, who is capable of scoring 30, 40 goals in a season if you're involved in Europe. Um, and O'Neill's been at the club for a good few years. It's almost, as you say, inevitable that he should move on to what he would perceive to be bigger and better things. Now, again, when I was looking back at some of the um, uh, the the history to remind myself really of that kind of period of time, um, O'Neill said he had two decisions to make when Celtic came knocking. Uh, the one, the decision to join Celtic was a very easy one to say yes, I will join Celtic. But he said the decision to leave Leicester City 
was very very difficult because he felt that that, that he his his coaching staff and playing staff had built something pretty special at Leicester and something very very good when you consider um when uh, O'Neill took us up into the top flight um after his first season you know winning the playoffs and we were pretty much nailed on favorites to go straight back down and we finished top half that season you know there was a sense that he he'd created something very positive a real good foundation for further success at Leicester so Martin O'Neill personally yes move on to bigger and better things but also he will have looked at Leicester and gone there in a decent position to maintain this uh, I've left them on on good ground uh, and I can walk away saying happily that's a job well done exactly it's inevitable that O'Neill would have left and Celtic they failed to win the league in the season that O'Neill wasn't there it's been three seasons O'Neill goes. But how does that leave Leicester? Many people listening to this might think, well, it, what happens, happens. But of course, we're a year further down. How does this leave Leicester? Naturally, the squad, they start to question their own futures. And fans at the time, they fear a mass exodus. And this starts fairly quickly with Neil Lennon joining Martin O'Neill at Celtic, just like it happened in real time a year before, uh, for £6 million. But this time... Instead of moving halfway through the season, he joins in the same week. Martin O'Neill also signs Chris Sutton from Everton. Now, Leicester, they need to act fast and appoint a manager. And we know in real time, a year earlier, uh, Peter Taylor was brought in. But Taylor's not available this time because he'd outgrown Wickham Wanderers and he'd moved to Derby County midway through the previous season. Now, just like in real time, Steve Walsh and Tony Cotty, they apply but they fail to get the job. Now, in my opinion, Leicester would have gone down the same routes, a young, up-and-coming manager, just like Martin O'Neill, and, at the time, Peter Taylor in real time. And there's one name that matches up perfectly. And later that month, Leicester approach Preston North End for permission to talk to David Moyes. David Moyes had taken over Preston and from relegation candidates in League 2, turn them around to win Division 2, and they just missed out on promotion to the Premier League that very summer by losing out to Sam Allardyce's Bolton 3-0 in the Division 1 playoff final. Preston reluctantly agree, and David Moyes joins Leicester. In real time, Moyes joined Everton that season in March, but Leicester, they get there in the summer, and Rob, David Moyes, is the new Leicester manager. And if you take what David Moyes managed to achieve at Everton, the stability, the longevity, the the sort of regular, gradual improvement, then you would say that the, the noughties decade would have been far more enjoyable in uh, your reality, uh, in this reality, rather than actual reality. Because very quickly in the real world things got pretty, pretty miserable being a Leicester fan. But David Moyes comes in. He assesses the strength of the squad. He says, OK, some players feel feeling the need to move on. Um, and he makes the right decisions, I feel, David Moyes, in terms of saying, right, OK, you think you've outgrown the club, you can go. But a handful of players who are maybe thinking about going, look at what we can build together. Here are some transfer targets. Maybe bring in a fairly... Uh, strong name 
early doors to to signal some intent there. I'm sure you've got some ideas in your um, it, it written down there, Pete. Obviously, I, as as I said at the start of this, I'm I'm sort of reacting and going along with what what you're building here for us. Um, and you keep hold of a few of the key players. You maybe move on a couple of the older ones. Walsh and Cotty, you've already discussed, have, have moved on at this point. Um, and David Moyes continues the work that Martin O'Neill has done at, at Leicester City and maintains our status as a top-half Premier League side. Now, in the timeline, initially, the squads, in my opinion, I agree with you, would have been impressed, actually, with David Moyes. And... David Moyes himself would have made a quick, uh, made quick alliances with the senior playing staff. Something which Peter Taylor did not do. Uh, Steve Walsh, interestingly, look, does not move north with Martin O'Neill. He remains at a coach as a coach at the football club. Something that David Moyes wanted. Uh, Tony Cotty does leave. He joins Barnet as a manager, as that happened in real time. And Moyes wants to build on what he had initially, just like you said, in terms of playing style, in terms of attitude, carry on the base left by Martin O'Neill in complete contrast to what Peter Taylor did. Now, in real time, there's a massive upheaval at the club with the new stadium on the horizon. It's strange at the time and what happened in real time a few years later understandably you can see why but the club pushed the boat out in terms of signings and they backed Peter Taylor in the transfer window and I can see no reason that that wouldn't be the case with David Moyes so in that season maybe not just the summer but overall in that uh, season Peter Taylor bought in Matt Jones 4 million from Leeds James Scowcroft 4 million Ipswich Ian Walker 3 million from Spurs Dennis Wise 3 million Chelsea uh, Dickoff just over a million from Man City the likes of Alan Rogers and Brian Dean as well. Now, out of those signings, I can see Moyes still purchasing Ian Walker because Leicester are desperate for a goalkeeper. Tim Flowers is injury-prone and he will become a coach that season and Simon Rose just not up for the job. So I can see Ian Walker joining the club and maybe an experienced player, the likes of, say, Brian Dean. Um, but to speculate what Moyes would have done... I've looked at a number of different indicators, Rob. What the squad needs, who David Moyes signed in real time when he joined Everton that season in March, what the budget is like, etc., which is fairly substantial for Leicester. Now, Carl Court returning to full training, but the huge question marks over his fitness. Uh, Collymore starting to seem disinterested, and ultimately Stan Collymore failed to turn up to pre-season. Leicester, they're on the lookout for a striker. Now, Large bids are made to Coventry, newly relegated Coventry, for Craig Bellamy. But he follows the real-life timeline by joining Newcastle for £8 million. Newcastle getting the better of Leicester in getting a centre-forward, unlike they did with Carl Court. Leicester, though, they bid for another Wimbledon striker, and that's Jason Yule, who scored 19 goals in Division 1 after the Don's relegation a year earlier. And Leicester beat real-time destination Charlton to his signature. And Jason Yule joins Leicester for £4.75 million. He joins other signings who include Jonathan Greening, who moved from Manchester United to Leicester for £2.7 million. In real time, he went to Middlesbrough. And also Leicester give a one-year deal for a 35-year-old Rob Lee. Some names going out there, isn't there? Rob Lee. Uh, had he just left Newcastle at that time? He'd left Newcastle and he joined Derby, but I can see Leicester just getting him 
because of his experience and we've just lost Neil Lennon as well. Jason Yule up front getting there ahead of Charlton. Jonathan Greening who can play in a number of positions. And Leicester start the season as we know. The final season at Filbert Street at home to newly promoted Bolton. And we all know what happened in real time. They lost 5-0 to relegation tipped Wanderers. Followed by a 4-0 drubbing at Arsenal. Now David Moyes' Leicester. They beat a more than decent Bolton 2-1 on the opening day with Jason Yule and Brian Dean scoring on debuts before the inevitable drubbing then at Arsenal. Now, Leicester's highest position for the whole of that season in real time was 17th and they were bottom of the league from Boxing Day. But David Moyes' Leicester are firmly mid-table in the newly branded FA Barclay card premiership, Ian Walker settling in goal, solid midfield bolstered by the multi-position greening and the forwards working together, Huckabee there with Yule and Dean. Collymore leaves the club in November. Now the club looking solid on the field and the new Walker Stadium rising behind the spine cot off the field, things are looking good at Leicester. Until in January, Rob, and there's a big shock as club captain Matt Elliott joins Martin O'Neill at Celtic. A tearful Matt Elliott says he left the club because the club looks so good on the field and off the field that he can leave Leicester knowing that they're in safe hands and he's got one last challenge and that's up at Celtic with O'Neill. And David Moyes moves quickly to bring in a promising player from Marseille on loan, Joseph Yobo joins Leicester, echoing the real-time loan signing at Everton halfway through the season. Now, Leicester quietly go about their business with a series of low-scoring encounters. Cup progress in the League Cup is minimal as David Moyes shuffles his squad around to see what he has and Leicester lose early to a lowly Mansfield town. Leicester reach the fifth round of the FA Cup where they're beaten in front of the Match of the Day cameras at Filbert Street with Liverpool gaining semi-final revenge from last season, Heskey scoring the winner late on. Of course he does. That's what uh, that's what eleven million pounds gets you. It gets you a revenge goal to knock Leicester out of the FA Cup. Well, that Matt Elliott though leaving Leicester. Yeah, I can I can understand his reasons. This this hypothetical Matt Elliott because as we as we discussed about Martin O'Neill a couple of minutes ago, it it was a point where the club looked in good shape and. Matt Elliott wasn't getting any younger. He's probably looked at Leicester and gone, you know what, I've I've done an awful lot here. I've been brought here from, from Oxford. You know, it's been the best time of my career. I've become a Scottish uh, international. I've captained the club. You know, I've scored a brace in a League Cup final. Um, where else does it go from here? Oh, hang on. Martin's on course for another treble north of the border. Yeah, I can I can totally understand that. And I, can, I also agree that he, he might have been a little bit tearful, such as the the sort of the relationship that he had with has still to this day with the club and with the fans. Now, as the season progresses, a few changes happen with the guppy looking slower and increasingly being left out, along with Jerry Taggart. Younger players, Rob, they're promoted and regularly starts appearing in the first team, including Jordan Stewart, Matt Heath and Matt Piper. On the final day of the season, Leicester take on Tottenham Hotspur in the final game of not only the season, but also at Filbert Street. Jerry Taggart... And Steve Guppy announced that they'll leave the club at the end of the game. And they both start the game. They're double substituted at the same time to a standing ovation. Matt Elliott actually makes an appearance at half-time to the cheers of the crowd. And the final goal at Filbert Street was scored 
by Guppy's replacement Matt Piper with a diving header at the cop end to seal a 2-1 win. Leicester finished the league in 11th place, equal distance from the top six to the relegation zone. On to the summer of 2000. Now, in real time, Leicester have been relegated. They're in financial trouble. Dennis Wise is sent home from pre-season camp in Finland after breaking Callum Davison's cheek after a game of cards. The two timelines now, Rob, obviously are now well apart as the two Leicesters are in different divisions. In real time, the club went into administration in October with debts of £50 million. But in our timeline, Leicester are securing the Premier League under David Moyes. And of course, they've now moved into the new Walkers Stadium. Now, Steve Guppy and Jerry Taggart, they've left the club. So does Frank Sinclair. Robbie Savage joins Blackburn for £4 million after initially denying that there was any interest at all and he wanted to stay. Darren Huckerby and Carl Court both leave during the season. Joseph Yobo makes his switch permanent. And there's a free signing from Aston Villa, David Janola. He signs from Aston Villa on a free, which boosts the season ticket sales. But no large transfers are made after Leicester spending all the money on the stadium. Now, in my opinion, under David Moyes, Leicester progressed in a similar fashion to Everton. And you have to remember how long David Moyes stayed there. And I can see him being at Leicester for a number of seasons with the increase in TV revenue and the brand spanking new Walker Stadium full for every game. Turnover increases year on year uh, with solid, if not spectacular, finishes in the Premier League with the off-cut run thrown in. But amongst the Premier League elite, Rob, Leicester find themselves in an attractive position to be taken over. By who, I wonder? Well, they've got a strong squad, Rob. They've got a good manager and they've got a new ground. But it does come with risks with the likes of, if you go back to the Venkis who bought Blackburn in 2010, they wanted to buy clubs beforehand. Similar-ish size club. You've got Hicks and Gillette who bought Liverpool in 2007 and made a mess of that for three years. Even worse was the likes of Guidermack and his cronies at Portsmouth. In a very similar time, 2006, which is roughly what we're talking about, obviously they outweighed the likes of Roman Abramovich, Chelsea 2003, and Sheikh Mansour in Man City 2008. But in my timeline, Leicester, who were a very attractive proposition, were bought earlier than those because... I have Leicester being bought by a gentleman from Thailand in around 2005-2006. So they've been in the Premier League for quite a number of years. Again, the revenue is going up and up and up. The ground is about three or four years old. Solid manager, solid team. And this gentleman from Thailand, his name is Taksin Shinawatra. Now, in real time, he looked at Fulham and Liverpool before his purchase of Manchester City in June of 2007. So I have him buying Leicester and a couple of years before that, Leicester ripe for the takeover earlier than that June 2007. And Taksin Shinawatra, who is the Prime Minister of Thailand, buys Leicester. Where would that leave David Moyes? Now, I'd imagine Taksin would do what he did at Man City. He would bring in his own manager. And that manager is Sven. Sven becomes Leicester manager in the Premier League under Taksin Shinawatra. Now, after heavy investment... And a roller coaster year, Taksin Shinawatra, he has to sell the club. Because in 2006, in September, his party, remember he's the Prime Minister, was overthrown in a military coup and he became exiled from Thailand. He's essentially, Rob, on the run. 
on the run with Sven. It's not like those two to be involved in scandals, is it? Uh, this is this is getting interesting now. I'm I'm sort of sitting back, relaxing. I'm enjoying this. Where where are we going next? Who's he selling the club to? Now the sale of the club echoes what happened in real life because in real time he sold Manchester City in 2008 to Sheikh Mansour and the Abu Dhabi United Group. But this doesn't happen because Sheikh Mansour would want a bigger club than Leicester. Taxi and Shinawatra sells Leicester after a gentleman he knows through business dealings and licensing agreements as Prime Minister and he decides to buy a football club for his company and family. And that man is called Vishai Raksriaksorn. He's soon to be called Vishai Shivnarhanapava and that name was given in honour in 2012 by the King of Thailand. And of course Vishai is the chairman of King Power Duty Free. King Power by Leicester City in the summer of 2005. King Power always ended up buying Leicester City. Vishai's son, Iwat, or top as we know, a fan of the club since attending the 1997 League Cup final win over Middlesbrough. And King Power buy Leicester slightly earlier than their real-life purchase in 2010. They buy the club five years earlier. King Power own Leicester. And then the rest is history. Well, yeah, that's where my timeline ends because what happens from then on, we could deliberate, we could go on and try and figure out what happens then. But in in my timeline, there's a number of, of paths that cross. The fact that the the echo, as I've wrote down a number of times, of of taxing bringing Sven, Sven becomes manager of Leicester, as what happened at Man City, as what happened at Leicester in what 2012 when Sven became manager around that, that time. He needs to sell the club. Who's going to purchase the club? He knows Vishai. Vishai's interested in the club. His son's a fan. They purchased the club. I can just see the two timelines moving in that way. That's what I think would have happened if Martin O'Neill stayed at Leicester. 